Well, it's good to be in the Lord's house. It's good to say howdy and welcome uh, to you and uh, to our guest. We welcome you and hope that uh, you'll receive a warm welcome before uh, before you leave here today. And if you're a regular here, don't think that you're not appreciated because you are. Without you, we would not be here. And so we appreciate all of our singers and all, everybody has a part behind the scenes there's a lot of work that goes on that you don't uh, you don't don't even know that happens and we appreciate each one that has a part in making us uh, making this happen today i do want to mention the fact that on the bulletin board back there there is a list of people that are it's an interest list are you interested in having an early morning easter service we've had these for several years uh, uh for a long time uh, I guess, uh, but uh, we, uh, because of COVID, we had suspended those things. But if you'd like to start that out, and we usually meet about eight o'clock back in the fellowship hall, far end, and uh, have a have a service there while some of our guys are cooking breakfast. And after that, we uh, go and uh, eat eat breakfast, and then after that, we go to Sunday school and we come to church, and that's the end of the day. And so go home and collapse <laughs> and so if you would be interested in doing that put your name up there your family name how many people would be interested in being a part of that and we appreciate that so very very much and if you'd like to have that done well we'll start working on getting that done if there is interest I don't want to come up here by myself and do it okay so we'd like to have uh, have some participation if that would be of your interest all right, today we're going to talk about those crazy Christians, who we are. Uh, when, I, when I decided that's what I was going to preach, I thought there's got to be something funny that I could say to kind of break the ice about being crazy, because they say, uh, if you think you're crazy, you're probably not. If you don't think you're crazy, eh, you might need to go see the doctor. But I heard about a lady that... Uh, Went to a psychiatrist one time, and and the psychiatrist said, uh, "How can I help you?" And she said, "Well, I've got a problem." He said, "Well, what's your problem?" I said, "Well, my husband thinks he's a refrigerator." I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." I said he is convinced, and you can't convince him otherwise that he's he thinks he's a, a refrigerator. And she he said, "Well, what's the problem with that?" I said, "Well, he sleeps with his mouth open, and that little light keeps me awake all night long." <laughs> Y'all can laugh. That's all right. That's a, that's supposed to be. I thought it was funny. All right, those Christians, and uh, we're going to uh, be looking in the book of Second Corinthians, chapter five. Great chapter in the Bible. There's so much in here. Uh, I started out with verse 17, and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. So I might just have to chop it off and and quit. And so if I get too long, just wave, okay, and say I'm, I'm dozing off. I'll uh, wake me up or nudge the person next to you. All right, those crazy Christians. You know, Christians are considered crazy <clears throat> by many people, uh, many unbelievers that don't see life like we see life. They, and they look at us and our lifestyles, and they say, y'all need to call the bug wagon and send them to the nut house. They done gone nuts over religion. I, I remember as a new convert in the Air Force, uh, a guy told me one time, he said, uh, man, you done gone nuts over that. And 
And I said, well, we're all nuts. I just got screwed onto the right bolt. <laughs> and so they don't really understand us. And from the outside, uh, Christian, uh, unbelievers think that we are too conservative. We think, they think that we're too dogmatic. And we're too intolerant of uh, the things that they participate in. I like what A.W. Tozer uh, said uh, in one of his books. He said, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one who he has never seen. He, take, he talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, that's Jesus, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, happiest when he feels worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passeth knowledge. No wonder they think that we're nuts. And I think Tozer hit it on the nail because as an outsider, that's what I thought Christians were. I thought they were a little mixed up. No, I didn't either. I thought they were a lot mixed up because they were cheap. They've been cheated out of a good time. And so if the world doesn't think that you're crazy, someone said, then something's probably wrong with your walk. And so today Paul gives us some good reasons why we are so misunderstood we're not crazy we you know they may be crazy but we got it together amen all right so paul lists several things here in chapter five. First of all he says our mission is new chapter 5 verse 11 through 13 he said knowing therefore the terror of the lord we persuade men but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are all manifest unto your consciousness. For we command, commend, not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have some what to answer them that glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, we be nuts, it is to God. Or whether we be sober it be for your cause and so paul starts out here by saying that we are in the persuading business we dawson trotman years ago wrote a book entitled born to reproduce born to reproduce and and in that that's he said you know we are born again to bring someone else to christ that they might be born again was the synopsis of what he wrote and so he paul uses the word here persuade the word persuade comes from a greek word uh, pytho and it means to convince to prevail upon or to win over so we are on the offensive we are to go to people and to persuade them that jesus is the way the truth and the life and no man comes unto the father but by him amen Come on, let's come on. Amen. Amen. All right, there you go. If, you, if I can't help you, uh, say, oh, me, okay. But uh, uh, Paul means of persuasion uh, was the scriptures. We see two verses of scripture where Paul was in the persuading business. One is in Acts chapter 18. It says, and he reasoned 
in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded, there's that word, patho, he persuaded the Jews and uh, the Gentiles. And when and what he, if you go to verse 5, it says that he tried to persuade them that Jesus was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. He was the Old Testament Messiah that was prophesied. Then we go to the next verse uh, over in uh, 28, chapter 28 and 23. He says, And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him in his lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading, there's that word patho again, them concerning Jesus both out of the law and of Moses and out of the prophets for from the morning till evening. So Paul did a act of persuasion, taking the Old Testament scriptures from the law of the prophets to persuade them that Jesus was who he said that he was, that he was Messiah, that he was the only begotten Son of God, and to let them know that Jesus saves. He is the only way we can get to heaven. Amen. And so to t sometimes, though, as we go to persuade men, the first thing that we need to know is that we have to win their trust. And you have to work. I, I believe friendship evangelism is probably the most effective that we can possibly can have. That we can win a person, gain their confidence, and then expound unto them, reveal unto them what Jesus did, what he did for me, and what he can do for them. Amen. And so today, uh, the, our mission is new. The way that we treat people is very important to gain their trust, to treat them with dignity and respect, uh, to treat them uh, with a, a way that we act, a way that we react. They have to see us trafficking in the world as we navigate through the world and how we handle the problems of life. That we as Christians, we, we don't blow up when things go wrong. Uh, that we, we don't get upset when things go bad, that we don't get mad when we get offended, that we, uh, that we are a loving, forgiving, peaceful type of people. And the world needs to see that, and so much more in today's violent world. And so our mission is new. The gospel, as I preached last week, needs to go forward and to be preached to every creature. Number two, the motivation. Our motivation is a new motivation. If we go down to verses 14 through 16, he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live to themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth we, we know we know man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, that was before conversion, now we are henceforth know we him no more. We don't know Christ after the flesh, but now we know him after the flesh. We know him as spiritual. And you see, he talks about love. We, uh, we see the love of God at the cross, don't we? If you don't think God loves you, you take a long look at the cross where Jesus died for 
us. And unbelievers, they just don't know that kind of love. They don't know agape love. They, they know a love that will give if it gets, but they don't know a love that just gives to get nothing in return. That's agape love, you see. And that's kind of God love God had for us. He died for us as sinners, amen. And so unbelievers don't understand that. Love should define our, our lives. He loved the world enough to die for us. For the love of Christ constraineth us. He draws us to us, to him, because we judge that if one died for all, then if he died for all, then everybody was dead. <laughs> and to go to Ephesians 2, 1, it says, we were all dead in trespasses and in sins. Whether you're a good sinner or a, or a bad sinner, the truth of the matter is you're a sinner in the sight of God. You may look good in the eyes of your mother or your father or sister or brother or, or granny, but in the eyes of God, he says that you are a sinner by nature. And we really know that because we know it's easier to do wrong than it is to do right. Amen? Amen. Okay. I thought you'd agree with that. If not, I was going to stay here until you did. And so out of love and gratitude, we live for him. That he died for all. I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It's the greatest motivation for serving and living for the Lord. And that he died for all, that we which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, or maybe say ourselves, but unto him who died for them or for us and rose again. And we, we coined it, we melted it down to the phrase, we live for him who died for us. How many friends do you have? Well, I got quite a few friends. How many friends that do you have that would die for you? Kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? Third question. How many friends that do you have that would die for your sin and take your punishment? You got one. His name is Jesus. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. And so we live for him out of gratitude because he died for us. Number three, people think we're crazy not only because our mission is new and our motivation is new, but our nature is new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature, or literally in the Greek it means a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. When you are saved, you're changed inwardly. It's the work that God does in our hearts that changes us, and it changes our whole nature. Negatively, uh, he says that old things are passed away. And that's not a new leaf. That's not being rehabilitated. Uh, that's not being reformed, but that's being reborn. Reborn. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about that. Nicodemus, he didn't understand it. He said, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? <laughs> and he said, no, that which is the spirit is spirit. That which is the flesh is flesh. And so today you've got to be born of the flesh, certainly once, but you've got to be born again. And that's of the spirit. That's the new birth. That's what we call being born again. Or in, the, in Texas we call it born again. we got to get born again, as old timers would say. And so it's a, it's a second birth, and that changes our whole new nature. And positively, we are transformed. 
transformed, transformed in Christ. We are new creatures, are a new creation. Old things, he says, are passed away. When you're saved, your language change, your old lifestyle change, uh, your entertainment changes, except for fishing. I fished before I was saved, I still, I still fish. I don't think there's anything wrong with it, all right? Matter of fact, there's going to be a river in heaven, amen? And I'm going to be there with a fishing pole in my hand. You can be assured of that, amen? Amen. We'll catch some big ones up there, Mr. Dana, amen? I ain't going to take you to a bad fishing hole, will I? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so anyhow, but there's a lot of old things that I stopped doing after I was saved because I knew that it did not please my Lord. It did not glorify my Lord, and it did not satisfy me. Things that you, you know, there's some things I used to eat as a kid that don't satisfy me anymore. Uh, I mean, you know, I used to like pickled pig's feet. That's before I was a Christian, okay? I didn't know anything about the law of Moses either. <laughs> we studied that this morning in Sunday school. But the uh, truth of the matter is, I tried one after I was saved, and I, I didn't like it anymore. I mean, I was just another. It wasn't because I was saved. It was just because I was now adult. My, my, my appreciation for pig's feet changed after I saw a real pig. My daddy used to bring all kinds of stuff home to eat. He'd bring home squabs. And mom would cook squabs. I thought, well, what's a squab? Anybody know what a squab is? It's a pigeon. <laughs> It's a pigeon. And I think of that every now and then when I see the pigeon flying around here. We used to have a neighbor had a bunch of pigeons, and they would come over here. And I thought, I used to eat those things. Would you eat a pigeon today? No, I wouldn't eat it. Things change. So you can change. And there's some things that I don't do morally or immorally that I do now morally because I have a new, new nature. Things can change, and God can change you from the inside out. Thank the Lord I have a new nature. This transformation is done by God's Spirit within you. It is not something that happens from out. Paul said, you know, before I was saved, I was, I was righteous and religious of the flesh. But now I don't do it of the flesh. I do it because I've been born again of the Spirit of God. I've got a new want to. That's what the new spirit does when he gives you a new nature. He gives you a new want to, to live for him who died for you and glorify him with your life and help you to be an effective witness for him. The next thing is new. Why people think that we're nuts is because our, we got a new name. And our new name is found in verse 20. For we are now ambassadors for Christ, as though God did to beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And so we got a new, new name. I am an ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is a person who represents their country in another country, and we represent Christ. And He said, we, as a, as a an ambassador, we represent our Savior in heaven who reconciles us and will reconcile them. He says in verse 19, to wit, 
that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself and, in, and not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have a ministry of reconciliation from the word of God that teaches people the only way that you can have a relationship with God because you are a sinner and he is holy and Jesus on the cross took hands of a sinful people and a holy God and he brought them together and he reconciled them at the cross and if we would come to the cross in repentance and in faith we can be reconciled to God and we have a message of reconciliation that's my, record, my, my message today. That's every Christian's message today is that you can be reconciled to God because we are alienated from God. But Jesus made the way. He is the cross. Not that we would go to God, but that God would come to us and meet us where we are in our sin and save us and forgive us and write our name in heaven's book. And today I'm heaven born and heaven bound and I haven't got over it yet. Thank God, I hope I never do. Amen. Early ambassadors, earthly ambassadors represent their country in a foreign, foreign land. And born again ambassadors represent heaven with a gospel message. A gospel message. Verse 21, it is the message of imputation. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How are you going to stand before God in your righteousness? You can't. The Bible says all of our righteousness in Isaiah 64, 6 is as what? Filthy rags. So we got to get somebody's righteousness, but I got good news for you today. You want some good news? I'm going to tell you this, and you tell somebody else, is that when you get born again, he takes his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, and he puts it to our account. That's what the word impute means, to put to somebody else's account. And so like Paul said, I stand not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. And so today we glory in his righteousness. We stand in his righteousness because we have received it by faith. By faith. Amen. And the world don't understand that. I stand in his righteousness. Does that sound crazy? Yeah, it probably does, doesn't it? It's hard to sell. It's a hard sell. <laughs> but I tell you what, thousands of people have, have bought it. Amen. And I speak figuratively because it's not for sale. It's a, it's a free gift. And so the world thinks that we are crazy because of the fact that we have a new mission. We have a mission that we are to reproduce, that we not only have been saved, but we want you to be saved too. Not only are we going to heaven, we want you to go to heaven also. Not only do I know Christ, I want you to know Christ also. That's our job. That's our mission. And then our motivation is new. It's a motivation of love. We have a love that we never had before we were saved. Before, the love that we had was a fleshly love, a love that only we love to get love. But the love now that we have is an agape love that just loves to give love. I love you because Christ loves you. 
and then our nature is new negatively all things are passed away positively all things are become new he gives us a new start he he hits the delete button and erases the old and gives us a new program amen and says work with this that's what they do when at work isn't they give you they, they say the old program's not any good anymore here's a new program you go and work with it and then we start working on it and the new life is much better than the old life i promise you that if you've never tasted of that so we have a new nature and we have a new name a new name we are ambassadors for christ got a lot of different names got to, you know i'm a child of god i'm a I'm called the Christians. The Bible says they were first called Christians at Antioch. And so today, we have a new name. And so in conclusion, I would say this. People find it hard to accept what they can't understand. And that's our job is to help them to understand. You know, I'm a real simple preacher. I hope that I am. I want to be. My philosophy has always been if you put the jelly on the bottom shelf, everybody can reach it. Amen. And we don't need to confuse people with a bunch of lingo that they don't understand. They don't understand redemption. They don't really understand reconciliation. We learn that later. There's a lot of theological terms that we have learned through the process of time that, that non-Christian people don't understand. And so we just have to melt it down and put it on the bottom shelf. And so if you'd like a new motivation, a new nature, a new mission, a new name, become a believer or a receiver of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but as many as received him. That's what it means to believe. It's not just a mental acknowledgement. It's not like, okay, I believe in George Washington. Do you know George Washington? No, I don't know George Washington, but I believe in him. <laughs> well, believing on Jesus is not just a mental acknowledgement, but it's a belief of trust. Just like you go put your money in the bank and you believe in the bank. How do you believe in the bank? Well, to the point that I'm willing to commit my eternal soul and my life to, to him. That's why Paul said, I, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And if you do that, I got, and, it's, and this scared me for a while before I wanted to commit, even as a 19-year-old boy, because People will think that you're nuts. And that's what I thought. I thought people are going to think that I got bats in the belfry. That I done, I done gone nuts. And it might not last. Well, I'm glad to tell you, it's lasted. It's lasted. I may not last, but he will last. Amen. You can't lose it once you get it. It's a once forever. It's eternal life. It's eternal life. You say, well, preacher, what if you're wrong? If I'm wrong, okay, listen to me real closely. If I'm wrong, I'm going to die trusting Jesus, number one. And number two, I haven't missed a thing. I've had the best life that I could ever dream of being a child of God and living by biblical principles and serving the Lord. And seeing people come to know the Lord. And seeing people die in the Lord and go to heaven's shore. And receiving that comfort that I know that I'll see them again. You can't beat that, folks. 
But what if you're wrong? <laughs> well, as the old song says, you're in a heap of trouble, boy. Because <laughs> you're going to have to face a Christless eternity and an eternal judgment. And so today, I would challenge you, if you've never received Christ, to receive him. And let me read this poem to you. I love this poem. It says, It was battered and scarred, said the auctioneer, thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks, he cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two, two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no, from the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward. He picked up the bow, then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosening strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. And the music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I bid for the old violin? A thousand dollars, who'll make it two? Two thousand, and who'll make it three? Three thousand dollars, going once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. And the people cheered, and some of them cried. We do not quite understand. What changed this worth came with the reply. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. And he's going once and going twice, twice and he's going and almost gone. But the master comes. And the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. See, it changes you and it makes you new. The world thinks you're crazy. Well, I said I was going to close, but I got one more thing I got to say. I want to say it before I go. I got a new home, too. I got a home in glory land that outshines the sun. Because one of these days, I know at my age, I got more time behind me than I got in front of me. But I know what awaits be ahead of me. And I got people there. I'm getting to know a lot of folks up there. Got a new one up there as of yesterday. And I look forward to seeing them and fellowshipping with them, singing about Jesus and, and worshiping at his feet. What a day day that will be but as an ambassador down here I still have work to do I read a story the other day about uh, uh, about George Schultz if you remember if you're old enough to remember the time when Ronald Reagan was president George Schultz was his secretary of state and he kept in his office a, a big globe of the world and when the new ambassadors would come in he would spin that uh, globe, and he would say to them, put your finger on your country. Said one day, 
he said Mike Mansfield, who was an ambassador, ambassador to Japan, came in, and 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 he he he, he, he spun the thing and and told him said, put your finger on your country. And he reached down and he put his country on the United States. And he said, that's my country. And George Schultz said to him, never forget that you represent your country. And take, uh, uh, protect our interest and never forget that you are representing the best country in the world as an ambassador for Christ. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. <laughs> my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And I'm down here just representing my country and my Savior who died to get you there while we stand today. Do you know Jesus? The bottom line is when the, you stand before the Lord and the Lord asks you, what right do you have for me to let you go into heaven? What are you going to say? You better say, see the man with the nail prints in his hands? That's why I'm here. Because I've trusted him to be my Savior and my Lord. And today he's not on the cross. Today he, he was buried, he rose again, and today he lives to live into our hearts, to come into our hearts and take that cosmic loneliness out, to make this life make sense and he wants to have his way in your life as a new creature in Christ Jesus would you like a new start today have you tried it the world's way and it really hadn't brought you peace and hasn't really brought you purpose you would like a new start you'd like to delete all the mistakes of the old world the old life and you'd just like to start afresh and anew with Jesus on your side you can have that he don't need your help. All he needs is your permission. And he'll save you, forgive you, and delete your past and give you a new life. Father, we thank you today for your word is rich and real. We thank you, Lord, that you are very, very blunt with us. That'll tell us that we're sinners in your sight, but that you have made a way that we can be reconciled to you through your son who died for us. I pray, Lord, that there be those today here that have never trusted Jesus that they would come and receive him. Maybe there are those who have done that in the privacy of their heart, but they've never made it public, that they would come and publicly declare Jesus as their Savior and follow him in baptism and to serve you through your New Testament church the rest of the days of their life. Till you receive us home, Lord, let us be faithful to be faithful ambassadors that we would never bring you shame or embarrassment. And we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we sing our appeal today, would you come today? Pastor, take my hand and say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus today. I want to receive him. You come right now.